There were some battles between coach and athletic trainer because I'm telling athletic trainer, I am on like a scale of eight out of 10. Like I feel nauseous, I'm gonna get sick because I'm in so much pain. And then I go to coach and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can play, I can play because I wanted to play, right? Like, hey, are you gonna be good? I didn't wanna disappoint her. I didn't wanna let the team down and I'm a little baby freshman and I, you know, have a starting spot and I don't wanna lose it. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Retired College Athletes Podcast, a podcast designed to inspire and inform the next generation of college athletes through stories and advice from retired college athletes. I'm your host, Sydney Umeri. Today we're chatting with Cindy Miller, a former University of North Carolina Asheville women's volleyball player and current therapist, speaker, and mindset coach, focusing on helping athletes gain awareness of mental health, nutrition, and body image. Let's jump in. I did not start playing volleyball until the seventh grade. And that was really late in Indiana. I'm from Indiana, Indiana's big volleyball, like seventh grade is behind the times. And I was a basketball player and a softball player prior to that. Basketball was very popular for me, our area, like that sort of thing. And started playing volleyball purely because like it was something to do in the fall to keep myself busy in the seventh grade. Started playing club my eighth grade year sat the bench. It was awful. I cried every tournament going home. It was the start to my experience of seeing like the politics and such of athletics and acknowledging that I knew I was better than some of the ones that went to different schools and that sort of thing. And that took a lot for me to keep playing. By the ninth grade, I shot up like six inches, five inches, six inches. I was teetering on five, 10. And they're like, oh, you're going to be a hitter uh, now. So my freshman year, I made the JV team in high school. Our high school team was pretty good consistently throughout the years. And by my sophomore year, um, I was the only one who still, I, I didn't play club for like two or three years after my eighth grade experience. I was like, that was awful. I don't care. I just want to play high school. I was really big into basketball. Basketball was going to be my thing. And so I stopped playing club. So I was the only one non-club and non-parochial school, non-like Catholic or Lutheran school kid on this team and just started like flourishing. And I genuinely think that it's because I didn't care. Like I didn't care about my performance. Like I was just doing what they were telling me to do. And I think that lack of pressure like skyrocketed me to being like one of the best on the team. You know, I got some off it offers. I started to get a little bit of interest. Um, but interestingly, I had played basketball for so long that local schools weren't looking at me for volleyball because they had heard Cindy's going to basketball. Like Cindy's playing college basketball somewhere like local. I never had interest in that. I don't know how that rumor got started. So I started looking elsewhere and started reaching out to places. I looked at North Carolina, the entire state. And I was like, I think I want to move to North Carolina. It came down to, I had two offers. I found this gorgeous city called Asheville, North Carolina. Had never heard of it before. The picture on the main website of UNC Asheville was like the fall tree line. And I was like, this is gorgeous. So by the end of it, all to say, I had two offers on the table. I had one at Ball State University, which is only an hour south of me. Um, and, and then I went on a recruiting my official visit to North Carolina, uh, went on a, a visit there. And, and when I came back, I kind of gave, I think maybe like two weeks, I called and said, I think I'm going to come here. 
And she was genuinely surprised. Like the head coach, so surprised because I guess I was so nervous that I did not appear like I liked it at all. So that was, I decided to go there. I played basketball all the way through my senior year. I ran track all the way through my senior year. Um, that was really frowned upon uh, as the people who are more into pick a sport, pick a singular sport. You know, I hopped around on club if I played or if I didn't, I did not stick to it. And I think that really did hurt me in recruiting as far as like getting bigger offers or getting different offers or having more. But in the end, I still had offers and I got to play basketball and I got to run track and I enjoyed those things. So I wasn't going to stop doing that either. I have a question then. You were a full scholarship athlete, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just want to point that out for people because like... I think it's really important. There's this whole other side of retired college athletes that is also helping like aspiring college athletes to make these decisions, kind of understanding what we went through. I think there's a lot of value in what we say as people who have been through it. And there's a lot of pressure to mm-hmm. specialize in the sport. And like you said, it's kind of unhealthy. It's actually just like really good for burnout, which is not the mm-hmm. best thing for anyone. Yeah. And everyone has to choose what is important to them. Like, For me, going to a great academic school was hands down the most important thing to me and my family. Basketball was what I used to get my education paid for. That was always kind of my way of doing it. So that's kind of what we used. For you, like, I'm not sure you can tell me kind of what was important to you, but ultimately, if scholarship opportunities and getting your education paid for is important, then like the big name or the big offer should not be as important as like fit and like Mm -hmm. if for example getting a 100% of your scholarship paid for is that thing if you have those then like you have those that's like you've met your goal I think people should just kind of like really single in on what is actually important to them absolutely I think that like getting the bigger higher offer is now I just I'm again I think I'm aging myself of just leave even like on Twitter like watching people announce their like even offers Um, which the schools now expect it as well. So it's not just the athlete now, it's become a thing. Um, But I personally, you know, my family does not come from any sort of generational wealth, any type of money. It was going to be community college if I was going to have to pay for it or I was going to have to pay for it. So I would have stayed in state and that was not one of my goals. And so really a full scholarship to get out of state was the was part of my motivation. And I think that it's really important for people who are looking, these high schoolers who are looking to go to the next level is there are, for volleyball, it's uh, 330 something division one schools. Like do your research. There's a lot of different levels of division one. There are plenty of division two, division three, NAIA that could kick the tails of some division one program. Like there's not, it's not a hierarchy of level of skill level Um, necessarily all the time. And I think that's a really important thing. Playing time was also really important to me. I did not want to go somewhere big and sit the bench. I am not someone who likes to sit the bench. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're bringing up all the things that matter. Um, Like, or I think I hear people say a lot. I think uh, as somebody who was highly recruited and could have gone to a lot of places, um, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at my career, not spectacular, not terrible, but I have a friend who we played on the same AAU team. She went to a smaller school. And when I tell you like the way she speaks about her experience and what she was able to accomplish, the championships they were able to win. I don't have those stories. I'm like, and 
I guess on paper I should have, you know, so as like a, a highly recruited athlete or something like that, but it's, it's really about fit. It's really about understanding like what you want and going after those things. And I hope all recruits and parents who are in that phase, I understand that's not everyone who listens to this just takes that in and really thinks about it because it's really fun to go to the big school until you don't play or you sit the bench or you're injured or, you know, anything, any adversity that comes at you, that's not like what you had in mind. So it's tough. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Just wanted to pop in and say thank you for listening, as well as encourage you to rate this podcast with a five-star review. If you're looking for other ways to support RCA, please consider giving to our Patreon in exchange for exclusive content. There you'll be able to gain access to solo casts, exclusive Zoom discussions with other people a part of the RCA community, merch, and patron recognition. Again, this podcast is nothing without you, so would love for you to get involved and give there if you can. I do want to hop into kind of your story of once you got to college. So I think you kind of mapped out your recruiting process really well in the terms of like, you kind of made it your own. Like it wasn't the typical route and you still got what you wanted in terms of going to a school that wasn't near home and kind of getting a different experience. I think oftentimes as high school athletes, like we envision ourselves as a specific player having a specific specific experience once we're there. And oftentimes that's not the case. Like there's a lot that happens in there. There's adversity, there's like learning, all this stuff. And so can you kind of briefly walk us through kind of what your experience was like and maybe some of the pieces of adversity that you hit while you were there? Yeah, yeah. So as from, you know, the seventh, eighth grade, once I started playing, I was starting middle from then on. I was a starting middle hitter. I played six rotations. That was like a big deal as a middle hitter. And then I got to college and my freshman year, I was behind the top blocker in the conference. That was one of our middles and the top attacker in the conference. That was our other middle as, and one was a junior and one was a senior. And so I tried to make myself better, but I was still behind them and I deservedly was behind them. And so I had really kind of by the first tournament realized holy cow, I'm probably going to be sitting the bench. Um, that didn't feel good. Uh, however, I had the insight that these two players were better than me. Like they were clearly better than me. Had a lot of adversity from hearing a different coach too, with having you know my coach from high school for so long or for like so consistently. And since I didn't play club, I didn't have a lot of different voices coming at me. It was very consistent through my time in high school. So having a coach who utilized, you know, yelling and demanding, that was really adjustment for me too. I can vividly remember, and um, she and I have talked about this since we are on good terms, but there was a moment that she, you know, she came up to me. She's like, where is the Cindy that I recruited? Because she's not in this gym. That crushed me. I was like, I have never hit off of another setter. I've never like, this is scary. I'm overwhelmed. This is hard. Um, Nothing has ever been really hard for me. Like I'm blessed in that like athletics came easily. So that was really hard. Um, And then our first tournament, my fellow freshman was wailing every ball out to the back wall and she was in the outside position. And the coach looked down. She was like, Cindy, do you want to play? I was like, yeah, I do. And so she put me into the outside position and I never left. Wow. I had never done outside hitting before, but I was like, all right, I can figure this out. Um, I spent four years as the outside hitter 
playing six rotations for this school, um, which I always, I tell every team that I coach about that because people come in, they're like, I'm a right side hitter, Cindy. I'm a middle. I'm like, <laughs> you're whatever gets you on the court. Like that's literally, what you got to compete. It's about competing yeah. at that point in time. Like everyone's good. Like you need to figure out where you fit in. Yeah. And if it's in a different place, but you get to be a part of the competition, like, and you're like, no, that's not my position. Happily <laughs> sit on the bench then, you know, like get in where you fit in or get gone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was probably the first piece of adversity that I experienced because it was just so new. And I think that up until like within the past few years, I never really even considered how impactful that transition was. Like I kind of like put it in a nice little box and pretended it didn't exist for a long time. Um, but then I got to play and had the interactions. And, um, and then about halfway through the season, we were doing a drill in practice where we were just kind of started practice with like a hundred defensive moves or defensive roles. And I was probably at like 10 or 15 and I went and dove and I just felt this like, instant pain in my like lower left region of my ab area and came up and I had tweaked an ab muscle in high school from hitting. I was really overusing my back and went to physical therapy for it. So this wasn't a new feeling, but it was definitely more intense. Um, so went to the athletic trainer um, and then the spiral of they think I'm faking, they think I'm not tough, they must, uh, I'm not going to get my spot back now. Like I went into a serious spiral of like, what does this mean? Um, I'm fine. Let me play. And so I took maybe three or four days off and we went and played the next game. Like I went in, I did everything, but I was not using the best form. I was not performing my best clearly. So we came to a conclusion that someone was going to come into the back row for me. Um, and that was great. It happened to be one of my besties. So I'm like, cool, we get to do the whole high five thing. You get to go in for me. I get a three rotation break. I was fine with that because again, I'm not, I'm in pain. So I'm fine with that. Right. And then there were some battles between coach and athletic trainer because I'm telling athletic trainer, I am on like a scale of eight out of 10. Like I feel nauseous. I'm going to get sick because I'm in so much pain. And then I go to coach and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can play. I can play. Oh no. Because I wanted to play, right? Like, Hey, are you going to be good? I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want to let the team down. I didn't want to like all these things. And I'm a little baby freshman and I, you know, have a starting spot and I don't want to lose it. So that was really conflicting because then I'd go in and the athletic trainer's like, what the heck? And we get mad at the coach. Like it was a hot mess of like, I created a really horrible triangle of, of conflict. Um, and, and so that was really hard too, because, you know, what we spoke on pre-recording is that I, you can't see it. It doesn't show up. It doesn't um, stick out. It doesn't, you know, there's no x-ray to do on a muscle tear going into my sophomore year the same thing happened in preseason this time. So we have, it was like just when we're running around hitting the ball 400 times before we not even playing. Right. right. Um, and this time it felt different. It felt worse. It felt like I felt like a nodule, which now I know was scar tissue from the consistent re tearing and it trying to heal itself. And 
this part was like one of the harder things is that, you know, I loved being away from home. I loved it. I thought it was great. And then they said, we want you to get an ultrasound on this so we can see really what's going on. So I had to do like the dye, the drink, the dye. So, it, you know, they can see where the tear is, all of that. And I had no one to go with me. I had no one that I loved to like care for me in that way. So my coach went with me and the athletic trainer went with me. <clears throat> and that was a wild turn of events because then the... Um, ultrasound tech came out and asked if I had any benign tumors in my past or any like just kind of asking all these questions because this nodule had become a mass like it had it had accumulated over these past couple of seasons which everyone afterwards the athletic trainer my coach like you took that in, that you took that so well that in and I'm like, because I felt myself do it. Like there was no part of me that thought it was anything worse. Like they didn't clearly didn't read my health history very well. Also, I went to a smaller school, not as well funded. Um, some of these things were coming out of my pocket. And by my pocket, I mean my parents. Because our insurance was at that time, the school's insurance was only secondary to the primary insurance. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't, I don't know it like across the board what that looks like now, but an injury that was caused by my sports playing, like I was getting bills for, and I was getting, and my like anxiety just started to raise. I'm like, How am I going to pay for this? Like, how is this going to happen? So that was another piece that kind of like stemmed off of that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I've heard this from a bunch of athletes. And I myself had like, I was a healthy athlete, fortunately. But I remember we had like an EKG screening come to the athletics department. And mm -hmm. I was one of the few that was stopped and was like, mm, we need to look into this a little bit more, like, come to find I have a bit of an irregular heartbeat. Um, and I think I've, I mean, I've literally always had it, but they just, yeah. it was actually very small, they barely caught it. And when they did had to get some more testing done, of course, just to make sure I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly fine. But I don't know who got that bill. I, I honestly, my parents were not super transparent about what they were getting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would have to go back and ask them, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think it was basically uh, the school with secondary insurance. So I think it ran through my parents as well. And I've heard a lot of athletes say like, I went and got help for something and I got a bill. And it's like, if you're a full scholarship athlete, like you're thinking you're basically taken care of, which is a position of privilege. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think, forget that like, athletes are basically young adults that have mm -hmm. no idea what's happening for the most part, really don't usually have money on their hands. And mm -hmm. they think their scholarship is taking care of everything because it's supposed to be a full scholarship. So there is that piece that's kind of stress invoking for sure. Um, but I think it's interesting that you were talking about how you would tell your coach, yeah, I'm good. But then you tell the trainer, yeah, I'm actually like in a lot of pain. And I think that that happens a ton. I think on the teams that I've been on, there's been a little bit better communication. Like it's gone straight from the trainer to the coach. So it's not mm -hmm. like I'm pretending, <laughs> uh -huh. um, but I think you bring up some good points on like, you're a freshman, especially as a freshman, like you're so new. And especially when you're starting, it's like anything to play. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that includes like putting yourself in harm's way. And that's not fully your fault. Cause it's like, what, like that's, you're kind of realizing this life dream. I know like when I played basketball, I started when I was seven. I got to college at 17. At that point, it had been 10 years. Like, that's all I really wanted to do. Like, I wanted to play in college. That was a lifelong dream, especially like lifelong. That's 10 years out of 17. That's the majority of my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So I totally understand that. I think like, how were you able to 
or were you able to work through that dynamic with your coach? It can breed distrust Mm -hmm. between all the different parties. It's like the trainer thinks that, okay, but you just told me you're in pain and now you're playing. Like, is she actually hurting? And the coach is like, Mm -hmm. why is the trainer talking to me about this? (laughs) Like Uh she can speak for herself. How does that, you know, how did you work through that? Yeah. And and that was one thing too, is that with the way our athletic trainer system was set up at the school that I was at, and I think this is very similar for a lot of schools, is there is a primary athletic trainer for the more like revenue earning teams or the bigger teams of the school. Uh, So your basketballs, your footballs, your, you know, um, it could be very different, could be volleyball for a lot of schools, but for us, it was not. And so how ours was set up was we had a rotating, we were a team that got a graduate assistant from a local graduate school program for their athletic training, like internship basically to join our team every year. So I had four athletic trainers in four years and that was really hard. So adding that, cause I can come back to that, why that's important. So I had just met this person and this person just met my coach and my coach just met me. So this time of like all of that, who do we believe? Who do we trust? It was messed up. Like there was no alliance formed for any of us. Um, And I think that part of the communication piece was the coach said, like, you need to tell me if you're you're good to play or not. And she actually meant it. And I still actually wanted to play. Right. So I'm like, I think I can. And what it came down to, there was like a culmination. I can't remember my sophomore, sophomore year, maybe the new athletic trainer every year, they would come in in the, you know, late summer when we'd be in there for preseason. All right. What do you got going on? Right. Most people like, oh, I get my ankles taped. Oh, I have this. Right. But I get rehab three times a week. Oh, right. I'm like, "Hmm, well, I tore my ab muscle off the bone. There's a weird nodule there. Sometimes stem helps, sometimes heat works, ice feels better, but like the like we don't know because there's not really a protocol for this injury to heal, especially playing the sport where like hyperflexion of your back happens with every move. The b- ability to speak up and like advocate for yourself that has been a theme actually on this podcast it's been mentioned Mm -hmm. on plenty of episodes i can link the ones that that has been mentioned down below for anyone who's interested to go listen but it's huge and so what are some things that you kind of talk through with your athletes or athletes that you work with in that realm yeah so i talk a lot about how we generally make communication when we have broken, right? Or snapped, or we've held it in for too long. So then we explode and then it's like, whoa, like dramatic or over-emotional, right? These are when these cues get labeled on people Um, or we're not conveying our message, right? It might turn to anger. It might turn to um, like exasperation or feeling overwhelmed and we're not getting across our needs, like the actual needs. Um, And so I think that the communication needs to start really early um, with if you have anything. And so um, I have coached club volleyball for 15 years, but I tell my teams uh, upon like first practice or even like our first meeting before we practice, uh, if you are having a bad day, tell me beforehand. I do not want to get on you if your boyfriend just broke up with you, if your girlfriend just broke up with you, if your mom yelled at you, if you got an F on your test, like I want to hear about it first. So I know how to respond. That's going to support you. 
Um, even if that doesn't mean I'm going to take it easy on you necessarily, but at least I know that if you are getting worked up in a drill, oh, it's because you've got like stacks of emotion from your day. Um, whereas someone else has an empty cup that they can fill up that like stress level. And you're already starting with like your cup overflowing. So I always tell them like, let me know. Right. Um, and then I have also in instituted and I encourage other coaches to do so as well. Uh, instead of running, I'm big, no running unless it has a fair reason or if it is for conditioning purposes or assisting purposes. Um, it That's does a game changer because I hated <laughs> it. Like it was a cause of anxiety. I mean, I remember calling my mom and being like, I can't, we're going to do this tomorrow and I'm not sure I'm going to make it like, like basically like the, like, it sounds like so dramatic, but it just was so anxiety producing. I remember by the time I got mm -hmm. to Kansas, we were a track team over there. Like I thought conditioning was hard mm -hmm. at UVA and it was, I'm not going to like pretend it wasn't, mm -hmm. but at Kansas, we ran like a track team mm -hmm. and my coach was very fair. So it was like, whenever we were running, it wasn't just random. Like he was very mm -hmm. like, okay, it is a punishment. And this is why, and this is like the standard we hold everyone to. And I'm not going to, mm -hmm. it's not because I don't like you guys. It's because like you fell short of our standard and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Or it's conditioning, but mm -hmm. it wasn't, it was, I think it was very well explained. It wasn't like I was on eggshells and like we yeah. mess up and all of a sudden my coach is putting me on the line and it's not our standard. It was yeah. like, you know, I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, like it, what happens is oftentimes when like a drill's not going well or, you know, specific things not going well, it's get on the line. Right. And I guarantee if listeners are going to have a sense of feeling. Trauma. Say, yes, it is. Right. Um, and what I have done now is if someone is emotionally not present for practice, right? So whether getting too hot, too in their own head, too snippy with their teammates, um, I put them in timeout. Um, and I call it that. I say, go, like, you are dismissed. Go for a timeout. Um, they are dismissed to go to the water, to their water bottles, to go over to the bleacher area. And it is a self-defined timeout. If they need two minutes, if they need 15, um, if it goes over till the next drill, I give everyone a, a drink break and then I go and check in on them. Um, and that it builds in the autonomy of choice. Like, okay, I am choosing to release all that anger, everything that was going on, my frustration with myself, my frustration with my teammate, whatever it may be. Okay, now I'm ready. Uh, the last time I instituted this, it was both my outside hitters on a club team, sent them both. They were just, you know, acting too, too, uh, too emotional to finish the, finish the drill. They were not going to be effective in the way that they had kind of crossed that, that threshold. One came back after about a minute. Coach, I'm ready. I want to do that drill again. She was ready. She jumped in to finish the drill, like in two minutes. She was already doing it for like 15 and whatever she needed, like the five hits to whatever. I don't remember what the drill was. Um, the other one sat. And I will say pouted. She sat and she really wallowed for a long time on the bleacher. So I went over and checked in. Um, and she said, I do not like that you sent me on timeout. I would rather run. Oh my and I was gosh. like, Why? She, might, she might be the only one. <laughs> I know. And I was like, because it was me deciding you're going to run until I say to stop. Right. She didn't like that choice. She didn't like that she got to choose, right? Because she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready, right? If I said, check your attitude, get it right. 
because of her coaching, because of even like upbringing, um, she had not really had choice. And so I think that's a really important rem reminder for athletes is you have choice and you get to play the sport that you get that and not from like a suck it up and be grateful, but like, it is your choice to be there. That's good. That's good. That has come up in an episode before. I'll link that one below as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, and she's also that person who I'm talking about is a swim coach, or at least at mm -hmm. the time was in, yeah. at, at the collegiate level. So um, yeah, just being like people or her athletes just mm -hmm. don't, they want to be told so badly. And that is like part of, I think, honestly, part of the struggle on the transition out where it's like, no one is telling you what to do anymore, but also mm -hmm. just like being able to, I mean, when I was in, when I was playing, like we had no autonomy, um, specifically in Virginia. Like it was like, get on board or get gone, basically. Like, please do mm -hmm. not have an opinion, <laughs> uh -huh. um, which is not great. And it, I think it, for me, it, it bred a lot of like restlessness, like, you know, mm -hmm. Cause I needed it, but some people, they, they don't know. They, they've never experienced it. Like you said. So that's, that's huge. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I struggled with that when I first started coaching because it was a very high expectation. And now of like, it was very much that similar. Like we didn't, you didn't have choice. You do this, 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 you show up to you. It was like the rule book was thick and I had to follow it because my boss was paying my bills. Right. Like, so I had to fall in line. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I felt like the biggest hypocrite ever when I'm checking, you know, curfew, when I'm checking, uh, <laughs> um, classes, right. Um, doing class checks. Hey, why are you not in class coach? I have a really big test in the next class. Like I already emailed my professor. They said it was fine. I'm like, but you're supposed to be in class. I felt like such a hypocrite because like, I totally did that in college. I totally did that to be a better student, right? Like to find time as a student athlete, sometimes that worked best, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a really hard transition for me in that like fall in line or get out um, mm -hmm. because I don't really fall into many lines. I think, you know, one of my, one of my taglines on one of my social media accounts is like, a firm believer in coloring outside the lines, doing yeah. all things. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think like, um, and this is for anybody who's in the recruiting process. I, I did not know what to look for really. I mean, I knew like what my goals were and that was academic, but like the questions to ask and things like that to coaches, oftentimes I will say, you're not necessarily gonna get the answers there. You need to go do the research and then like, ask them and see if it aligns with your research. I think that's probably the best way to go. Um, but with that said, like when I was in my first program at Virginia versus Kansas, like the way that each coach ran their program was very different. And one was more beneficial for me than the other, which was Kansas. Obviously that's where I transferred to. And it was just a lot more, there was a lot more freedom, freedom. Like I didn't really, but you don't go into it as a recruit thinking like, Oh, I want to go to the coach that gives me freedom. You want to like go wherever you're, you know, you're not thinking about that because you don't know. So I guess like just take this piece of advice if you're in that process and think about like how you, th how you thrive best or where you would thrive best or even just like your current coaches, like what is something about them that you're like, Oh, actually just, I do really well under this type of leadership, this type of coach. Like this is how I want to be spoken to. This is the freedom I need to be able to feel my best and play my best because you're going to need to replicate that as best as you can in college um, or be able to adapt to whatever their system looks like. Cause that's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, 
if you are being recruited, I think this is something that like hindsight, what would I ask for? What would I tell somebody now? Um, watch a practice, watch a game. Absolutely. Like watch the coaching dynamic. Don't just watch what's going on on the court. Watch the coaches, how they interact with the bench. Watch that. Do they yeah. give high fives? Does that matter to you? Right. Do you need to be encouraged when you come off the court? If a coach doesn't give high fives, if they just sit at the end of the bench, like they might be a great coach, but if that's what's important to you, that matters. Right. Um, and then the other piece that I think I would like, you know, after a practice, they know recruits are watching ask the players later. Is that how she normally acts? Is that how oh, you normally acts? A hundred percent. I mean, they have open practices and we all know like that literally is not how it goes. Like it's never mm -hmm. how it goes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Ask the players. Mm -hmm. um, more than that, ask former players that are no longer a part of the team. Mm -hmm. They will tell you what you need to know. Um, but a hundred percent. Yeah. I think I always say this because it's like when I was thinking of going to play in college basketball, going to play college basketball, I was highly recruited, which was great. Um, and so my like thoughts of what I could be in college were in line with other great college players, because I thought that's what I had the potential to be. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time it was true, but I never once thought like, oh, I could be a player that like no one knew the name of, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that was sitting like kind of towards the end of the bench and she comes in maybe like I guess in basketball, like sec or first off the bench, second off the bench, mm -hmm. like or maybe she didn't hit, she didn't hit the floor that day. Um, because that stuff happens no matter how good you are, and mm -hmm. you need to see how those players are reacting. Like some players are working through the mindset of like this is the first time this is happening to them. It's hard, so like mm -hmm. they might be pouting. But the more you, I mean, you're a recruit. Usually these days, like you get offered or interest is shown quite early so you have some time to do your research like mm -hmm. over the course of some time see what's happening because the bench I think gives away a lot like mm -hmm. you see the eye rolls you see the like lack of sportsmanship or a lot of sportsmanship mm -hmm. you see the conversations on the bench like specifically for basketball you get pulled out is anyone talking to the person they just yanked mm -hmm. or like are they explaining to them what happened are they going to go in anytime soon again are they done until like the next half like these things are very very important because that's your reality once yeah. you're there. It's really cute in recruiting, but <laughs> it's real <laughs> once you're there. So yes, yes, that is like the authenticity of official visits sucks. I think as a as a, across the board is a generalization I will make, right? Because everyone's on their best behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone wants the top recruit to say yes to their school to make them better. Like that is. Um, and, and I don't think that there's necessarily anything like deceitful necessarily going into it. Everyone's just on their best behavior, right? Yeah. When our best days are very far and few between, we have regular days, we have bad days, we have okay day, right? Like, you know, everybody's on their best behavior, which mm -hmm. I think is something to consider as well. Oh, 100%. That was Cindy Miller former UNC Asheville women's volleyball player, current therapist, speaker, and mindset coach. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys in the next episode.